The 100 Years' War, the de Guiscalin period, English finances, 1371. On February the 24th, 1371, the English Parliament met in the Painted Chamber at Westminster beneath the famous paintings of battle scenes from the wars of Ptolemy and Judas Maccabeus. William of Wickham gave the opening address as he had done in 1369. He had a somber message to deliver. Since their last meeting, he said, when they had approved the king's resumption of arms and the title of France, Edward had sent his captains overseas to recover his rights at enormous cost. But the king of France had become so strong that he was now in a position to reconquer the entirety of Edward's continental domains and gather a fleet large enough to destroy the whole navy of England and carry an invading army over the channel to pillage and conquer the realm. Of course, this was a gross exaggeration, as Edward III's ministers must have known, but the true situation was serious enough. For two years, Edward III had been trying to fight a war on several fronts, financed mainly by savings and borrowing. By now it was clear he was dealing with a far more formidable and powerful enemy than John II. The war was going badly and a substantial increase in taxation was unavoidable. The King's Council told the Commons that the government urgently required a subsidy of £100,000, half of which was expected to come from the laity and half from the clergy, who were due to meet after Parliament had been dissolved. This was an exceptionally steep demand. It represented nearly twice the conventional value of a parliamentary subsidy. Nothing is known about the deliberations which followed except that they were acrimonious and lasted more than a month. It was not that there was any serious opposition to the war itself, which had so far been fought with limited demands on the purses of the king's subjects. If the chroniclers are a guide, there was a widespread resentment of the way the French had undone the settlement of 1360. Ill-feeling against France was aggravated by the disruption of the wool trade with Flanders and the threat and occasional reality of naval raids on the coast of England. This was reflected in a fierce hostility to French nationals in England, whose presence as businessmen, monks, spouses, domestic servants, or prisoners of war had been an ordinary feature of life for many years. If the commons had had their way, they would have all been interned or expelled in 1371. Edward III's remarkable record as a war leader was still remembered and still inspired confidence, but it also meant that the run of minor defeats, the progressive loss of territory was received with widespread incomprehension and far too readily attributed to corruption or incompetence. This is one reason why there was so much resistance to the proposed tax. The commons called it an oppressive ransom. The council responded with, with menaces. The commons assumed that the king's revenues must have been diverted to improper purposes. They prepared a petition, which they were not allowed to present, demanding that the proceeds of all future taxes should be paid over to commissioners to be distributed only for war expenditures. When it became clear that the government would broke no refusal of its demands, the ecclesiastical peers fell to quarreling with the commons about the increased share which the clergy was being asked to bear a half instead of a third. They declined to commit the clergy in advance of the meeting of convocation. This, in turn, provoked ugly outbursts of anti-clerical feelings and, called from, and calls from some quarters for the dispossession of the church. To the general feeling that the clergy were not bearing a fair share of the national burden was added as an unreasoned instinct that the fighting men had been let down by greedy churchmen and incompetent clerical administrators. 
This view was common enough in wartime in both England and France, and would become more so. Du Guesclin's views about the fur hats were widely shared on both sides of the channel. The knight in the famous French allegorical tract La Songe des Vergiers spoke for many when he said that the clergy reposed peacefully beneath shady canopies, elegantly scoffing fat delicacies while he and his kind spilled their blood and fortunes in their defense. At Westminster in 1371, it was characteristically the young, hot-headed Earl of Pembroke, just returned from the frustrating and underfunded campaigns in southwestern France, who apparently suggested the scheme to increase the clergy's share. The king's ministers, who included prominent clergymen, found themselves attacked from all sides. It is reasonably clear that the commons refused to grant a subsidy until they were removed. The ministers preferred not to provoke a crisis on an issue which was known to be extremely sensitive with the king. So on March the 24th, 1371, William of Wickham resigned as chancellor. He was followed three days by the treasurer, the competent and honest Bishop Brantington of Exeter. Both men were replaced by laymen. On March the 28th, the day after Brentingham's resignation, the Commons agreed to grant its half of the subsidy. The two convocations follow suit, but with extreme reluctance. The Southern Convocation listened stony-faced at St. Paul's Cathedral to the appeals of the King's counselors. They had to be adjourned to the Savoy Palace, where the sick Prince of Wales, surrounded by ministers and noblemen, browbeat them in person first earnestly requesting, then demanding a subsidy before they would consent. In the North Province, it took two assemblies and two months to persuade the clergy to comply. The Parliament and Convocations of 1371 proved to be the first of a succession of assemblies in which defeat and insecurity provoked discord and mutual recrimination amongst the English. The government had hoped to get the first installment of the new taxes in its coffers by Whitson and the rest by midsummer. It quickly became apparent this would not be achieved. The first problem was both the lay and the clergy subsidies had been levied on a different basis to their predecessors. That required fresh assessments. The clergy subsidy extended to unbeneficed clergy and clergy who had previously been exempt. The lay subsidy was granted as a lump sum of £5,000 to be raised by a levy on parishes at the average rate of 22 shillings 3 per parish. The scheme was designed to deal with, with the effect which plague, migration, and exemptions had had on traditional tax assessments now nearly 40 years ago, but it assumed there were 45,000 parishes in England, a figure which the Commons appears to have gotten from widely read chronicle by Ranulf Higdon of Chester. Unfortunately, it had no empirical basis at all. Within a month of the grant, the government realized that it was uncollectible. They ordered an urgent survey of parishes and summoned sheriffs to send one of the two Burgesses from each town and one of the two county representatives who had made the original grant to attend a new assembly. On June the 8th, Parliament met at Winchester, where they presented with evidence that the true number of parishes in England was about 4,600, less than a fifth of the number previously assumed. The assessment was therefore increased from 22 shillings to 116 shillings, which was probably more than the commons would have granted on the first occasion if they had known what they were doing. New assessments were then commissioned to enable it to be properly distributed. Ultimately, in spite of the resistance of taxpayers, nearly 92,000 pounds of the 100,000 pounds was actually collected. It just took a long time. The bulk of the proceeds did not become available until the summer of 1372, and collection was not completed until 1374. 
This ruled out any ambitious military adventures in 1371. Now, the sources for this, The One Hundred Years' War by Foissart and his Chronicles, The One Hundred Years' War by Perrois, The One Hundred Years' War by Nylons, and The One Hundred Years' War, Volume 3, The House Divided by Sumption. So I hope you enjoyed that. And as always, don't forget to come by the website, summahistorica.com or historyaccordingtobob.com, and ask a question, leave a comment, check out our merchandise, and if you like what we're doing, please feel free to support us. Thank you very much.